Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for Gary. I want to thank you for just the life that he's had. Father, I thank you for the character that you've given him. And Father, I just want to thank you that we um, can get something great from what Gary's got to share today because it comes from you. God, I just pray that you remove any distractions. Um, Would you mute the words of Gary that are coming from his flesh, Father, so we can hear your spirit clearly, um, hear it, um, not and not just hear it, but um, that it would plant a seed deep and that we would apply it, that it would change our tomorrow, that it will change the course of our life from this point on, Father. May it be a word that is rich and fresh and, and new. And thank you, God, that you don't disappoint and that your word doesn't return void. So thank you for Gary, God, and thank you for what you've got for us today. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Funny you mentioned the mute button. We've had a, I've had a couple of experiences with the mute button this morning. All my fault, but hey, it's good to be able to think like that. Like um, the uh, the stuff that rattles around in your head sometimes, you think that sounds like a great idea or something good to say. And as soon as you say it, you know it wasn't so good. You know, so thank you for that prayer, Sarah, that God's going to mute any of the the crap that comes out of my head. But uh, just let the the word of God flow. Okay. So, it's an honour and a privilege to be up here again in Andrew's absence. So, (laughs) he's probably watching. Hello, Andrew. (laughs) Be careful who you let onto your platform, mate. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. Actually, I'm glad I was able to make it up here now because I was on par duty for a little while. You might have noticed that. We've got a little grandson who uh, appreciates his par as long as par tells him or takes him where he wants to go, when he wants to go there, right? Or if he wants to sit down and watch that blinking song from Moana again and again and again. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, uh, talking about Andrew, last week he was bringing the word to us and he shared with us how he's reworking how he prays. Uh, instead of saying, please all the time, please do this, please do that, he was saying he's trying to increasingly declare God's word in faith as his new reality and that's just not just a positive the power of positive thinking stuff it's actually based on scripture about declaring God's word and uh, for example I am a new creation we can say that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ why could I say such an outrageous thing about being a new person I look about the same actually I look a bit older (laughs) what I used to but I'm a new creation in Christ. And we can say that because in 2 Corinthians, it says when someone becomes a Christian, he or she are not the same anymore. They are a new creation. Old things have passed away and a new life has begun. Hallelujah. Yeah. Any other new lives in here? You always feel like it's a new life? Mm. Sometimes you don't. But it's a reality in the Bible that says this is what happens when you follow Jesus. You become a new person on the inside. That's good. Andrew also reminded us last week from Acts 4.31, while they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. Got to get glasses for close up, haven't I? Uh, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's word with fearless confidence. Some other versions say, with boldness. Now, why bother speaking the word of God at all? In a day like 
we have now in 2022. It's not kosher. It's not trendy to even mention the Bible, let alone go quoting it or saying that you believe it. It can be an awkward silence, can't it? But I believe it. And it's not just because I was reared in the Salvation Army and heard sermons and sermons and sermons and saw stuff around me of people's lives who were great people. But I got to a point where I had to know for myself that I could trust that bunch of paper that was my Bible. And it can be trusted. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let, let me just go back to my notes here. This is what happens in your waffle. <clears throat> yes, I believe we're living in a time when society is desperately needing foundational truth. Everything's negotiable. Everyone's truth is what you want it to be, even if it doesn't work. The world needs unchangeable values. It needs an everlasting love that doesn't depend on circumstance or feeling. Okay? In simple words, we need to know what God has been saying all along from the beginning about our circumstance and about us as people who are created in his image or her image if you get offended by the using the, the male pronoun or whatever. The thing is this, God is gender free. Okay. We see God represented in the person of Jesus who was reared in the Jewish faith, which is a patriarchal society. And so naturally they're going to call God he. I've got no problems with it, but if you want to call him she, that's okay. The important thing is that we are accountable to this creator, this one, this holy one, high and lifted up, the supreme being who gave us the whole cosmos, who scattered the stars into space, created the earth, created the heavens, created the ocean. Thank you, Jesus. Love the ocean. And we are accountable to him. So we don't want anybody living without this truth that God cares and we have a world that can be redeemed and be a better place. The next generation doesn't need to go to bed hungry or abused or cold. Amen? So that's the plan, Stan. But this is God's idea, not ours in our own strength. The horrible truth is as soon as any country or nation or tribe or whatever, club, denomination, gets away from the word of God, things go skew-if. Stuff happens that shouldn't happen. And it's not a new thing. The prophet Amos in the Old Testament had this to say way back when. He said, Judgment day is coming. These are the words of my master God. I'll send a famine through the whole country. It won't be food or water that's lacking, but my word. People will drift from one end of the country to the other, roam to the north, wander to the east. They'll go anywhere, listen to anyone, hoping to hear God's word, but they won't hear it. Friends, do you sense that? There's a dearth of God's word. People are embarrassed about quoting the word of God. They think, no, that's old stuff. We don't need that anymore. And things go pear-shaped. There's an absolute truth, horrible as that Thing, that word might sound to you and offensive as it might sound there is an 
unchangeable truth. So that's what I'm here today to talk to you about, just to share briefly about why, and this is in the context of the Alpha course that's being held at the moment online with Long Jetty Salvos, why read the Bible? Why should I read the Bible? Is it helpful or is it just enough to know the basics? Yeah, God, three in one, Jesus, Son, crucified, dead, buried, my Saviour, Lord. Okay, what am I doing today? More to it than that, friends. A lot more. In a few minutes' time, we'll be singing these words and hopefully meaning them. We'll be singing this. There is none like you. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Friends, how the heck can, we, can he show us who he is if we aren't going to read his story? Hey, come on. You want to be like Jesus? I want to be like Jesus. What was Jesus like? It's written down in the book. It is there. We'll be singing, your love is a firm foundation. Friends, what things are foundational in your life? Or does your life feel like a boat with a sail and no rudder? See all those boats piled up on the shore over in Florida? Absolute chaos. No little rudder was going to save any of those boats. They just piled up on the shore and costing many people a lot of dollars, millions of dollars, because of the horrific storms that have hit that country. I tried riding a surfboard once with the fin taken out. Anyone ever done that? Weird, isn't it, Simon? It doesn't... <laughs> I thought, this is cool. And as soon as you start to paddle, there's no direction. It, it's, it doesn't go like this. It sort of goes, what way are we going today? Where do you want to go? <laughs> Weird stuff. Riding a snowboard is similar. Um, I don't know whether you, if you haven't read a, ridden a snowboard, let me tell you this. Riding a snowboard is a little like um, riding a cake of soap down a hill in heavy traffic. Right? And they turn like shopping trolleys. You know how a shopping trolley turns? If you want to go right up there out of this aisle, you've got to go, okay, I'll start going sideways now. And by the time we get there, maybe it'll go to the right. That's a snowboard. No control. Well, very little, right, Nate? Very little. You have to use your edges. So there is what we call a fulcrum. As on a surfboard, there is a fin a fulcrum that you can use to steer left, right, go ahead, whatever, fall off, whatever your plans are. There's got to be something unchanging and stable and a fulcrum for the way we live, something that will be foundational to give us our values and our principles. Because somewhere, friends, somehow, at some time, we all need a compass. An absolute, a foundation which will determine our values and principles for living. And God knows we need these things. If you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, it's an old book. Fairy stories, myths, bit of Jewish history. Listen, we don't have time to do this this morning, but if you ever want to Google Josh McDowell, there are other people who do this sort of stuff, Josh McDowell, and he'll tell you and explain to you why you can trust the historical accuracy 
of the Scriptures. As in any old document, historians have to try to, or not try to, have to examine to validate the historical accuracy of any document. And they use three tests. They use the bibliographical test, the internal evidence test, and the external evidence test. And those three things are absolutely critical. If you find some old document and go, when was this written? Can you trust the person who wrote it? How long after it happened was this stuff written? And I've got to tell you, the scriptures of the Old and New Testament come up trumps. Absolutely. Check it out for yourself. Josh McDowell, or just Google historical accuracy of the scriptures and see what you come up with. I'd love to spend more time on that, but we don't have the time right now. The Salvation Army has always declared where it stands and hopefully will continue to do so when it says in our doctrine, number one, we believe that the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament were given by inspiration of God and that they only constitute the divine rule of Christian faith and practice. Now, that's a mouthful, but that's the most foundational of our doctrines in the Salvation Army. So what about that Old Testament isn't that just Jewish history? Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets. I read a book years ago called What the Bible is All About by a lady called Henrietta Mears. Now, you know she's old if she's got a name like Henrietta, right? Any Henriettas in the room? Thank you, Jesus. It's an old name. But Henrietta Mears wrote this book called What the Bible is All About. And she said this, and this has stuck in my head for many, many years. The New Testament is implicit in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is explicit in the New Testament. It's a double-edged sword. They go together. They're meant to complement each other. You won't find the gospel in the Old Testament, but you'll find indicators and words that were pointing forward to a day, a new creation, a new kingdom, a redeemer. And then in the person of Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, raised in a town called Nazareth. And as Nathaniel said, huh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's like, can any good thing come out of Melbourne? Can any good thing come out of Queensland? Have I offended? Is anyone I haven't offended yet? But that was Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up as a kid. So he was born a Jew, very familiar with Jewish scriptures. He absorbed them like every young Jewish boy has to. They were absolutely steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. But then since his arrival, everything in the scriptures is viewed through what sort of eyes? What did Jesus preach all the time? Starts with K. Kingdom. All right. I was hoping I didn't have to give any more clues because, frankly, I was running out of clues pretty quickly. He began to speak about the kingdom, and he not only said it's coming one day, he said it's here right now. Don't go looking somewhere else for the kingdom. Here it is. So if someone begins to follow Jesus, they are part of this kingdom of God. And that's the new set of eyes, the new spectacles, if you like, the new perspective, the new framework that helps us to examine the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
So as a redeemed child of God, living to express kingdom values and principles, this is where we get our story from. Old Testament stories and prophecies take on special meaning when you look at the life of Jesus because the kingdom of Jesus is now amongst us and changes everything for the better. Would you agree? If you've experienced the kingdom of God, you know it's a good thing. Absolutely. Could I say this? If we read the Old Testament scriptures without a relationship with Jesus, we can easily become the worst kind of judgmental legalists. And there's enough of those around. Likewise, reading the New Testament without being aware of the history of humanity and Jesus' Jewish culture, family tree and prophecies spoken, it can impoverish our understanding of Jesus' words. It's a balanced diet. Okay, here's an interesting exercise for you. Uh, how long is it since you dared to go into settings on any of your devices? Go to screen time. Do you ever do this? Did you know there's a thing called screen time under general? Settings, general, screen time. It'll tell you how many hours you average per day on, the, on your device. Anyone ever been embarrassed about the, number, the amount of hours? Yep. A few. I see those hands, the most honest people in the room. It is embarrassing. I had a look yesterday and I'm averaging one hour, 45 minutes a day on a device, on a screen. Now, admittedly, some of that was preparing for this right now. And that's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. But it's true. How many hours on a device? Sitting here for about an hour or so, maybe half an hour listening to the sermon part of it, is a good investment in your Bible intake, but how would we be if that's all we got? How would we be if we only spent a half hour per week eating? Do they? Okay. It shows. Yep. Good on you, mate. Well, that's good. So you imagine that, eating for half an hour a week? Not going to happen, is it? No. It's my guess that it would all be a lot lighter, <laughs> but gradually needing more carbohydrates, proteins, fats, vitamins, minerals, fibre and water to keep us healthy. Psalm 1 tells us something interesting and challenging about a balanced diet for our spiritual health. It starts like this. Oh, the, I know the old King James Version, but I won't do that because it's King James, right? Modern versions say, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. Meditating on it, how often? Day and night. Meditating on it day and night. Then it says, and this is what happens when you meditate day and night, when you get yourself into the word of God and soak it up and absorb it, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. In other words, your life can be a pretty awesome replication of the life of Jesus. And would you not want that? 
while he was on his tour of duty here on earth, or more correctly, his tour of love. If you've ever been in love at any time of your life, once, says Wayne, have you ever been in love? At any time in your life, do you remember how you couldn't wait to spend more time with that person? Getting to know them. And the relationship becomes the most central part of your life. Any lovers out there who have lived like this, couldn't wait to get together with that person, that special person? A lot of people are being cautious about debating that. It's true. That other person becomes the centre of your thinking and you think, oh man, when am I going to see her again? It's the way it goes. That's love. It's true. As a tribe of people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, shouldn't our relationship with him be the absolute priority in all that we do? The one that we say we love? The one we say we need to be like or more like? Speaking from personal experience, I have to say this, it's too easy to allow other stuff to dominate our energies, our routines and our plans. Would you agree with that? The old hymn got it right a long time ago. Have you any room for Jesus? I don't know whether you've ever sung this. It's pretty old. It was written centuries ago. But we used to sing it when we were younger. Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died. That's the horrible truth, friends. We crowd him out. We don't spend much time at all, maybe half an hour on Sunday and that's it, listening to the story of Jesus and getting to know what his nature is like, what his love is like, how it's expressed and what it means to be part of the solution rather than contributing to the problem over and over again. So friends, if your innermost hope is to be more like Jesus day in and day out in everything you do, Here's how it starts. You read his biography. See how he reacted, how he related, what he did, how he did it, his attitude to people, his attitude to people who weren't that popular or who are marginalised or disenfranchised by society. He lived in a way that represented and spoke volumes about the love of God, the Creator, to all humanity. The woman caught in adultery who was going to be stoned with stones by all the legalistic critics around her. And Jesus said those immortal words that you've heard from all sorts of positions and and, uh, points of view. Let he who was without sin cast the first stone. But then he said to her, it's okay, just keep doing what you're doing. No, he didn't. He said, where are your accusers? And she said, none here that I can see. And he says, go and sin no more. It's about being a new creation. The crooked tax collector. Jesus himself was accused of being a drunk. 
because he turned up to parties and all sorts of disreputable places, suspect places. Why? Because the love of God beat in his breast there and he was reaching out to try and show people that it doesn't matter what you've been, where you've been, uh, what your motivation is, how bad you feel about yourself. God's love is for you. And that was shown to us at the cross when he went to the cross and was crucified there, nailed to a rough old piece of timber out of love for all of mankind, all of womankind, all of humanity, was able to say, he is my redeemer. By faith in him, we become a new creation. And friends, my message today is simply this. If you want to know what it's like to be like Jesus, read the story. Soak it up. Get into it. Spend more than half an hour a week on it. Make sure your screen time maybe comes second place to your Bible time. Big call. Let's try it. So we're going to sing this song now and invite you to just examine your heart and think, okay, what are my foundational things? What are, what are the non-negotiables? What is the ultimate truth that I'm building my life on? A 12-step program, if you're doing that or if you've done it, can be a pretty good start. It can be a launch pad. Because in those 12 steps, you acknowledge your reality. You say, I'm powerless, right? I'm powerless against this stuff that is destroying my life. And so I need help. And you start to find that in community. But the ultimate way to find your security and your truth for the future, day by day, is to start to trust Jesus and that he does care and he does love you as the Bible says he does. Think about these absolutes in your own life as we join together and sing this lovely song together. Thank you.